You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to have John Hunter on the phone with us. And uh, we're going to talk about the CRO's plan being the company's plan. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Asher. Glad to be here. Superb. So, John, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. You bet. Love to. Uh, my name is John Hunter. I'm most currently the Chief Revenue Officer of MicroFocus. For those of you who don't know, this is the HP software uh, integration with uh, Heritage MicroFocus out of Newberry, England. And it's been a, a great two years there. Prior to that, I was the Senior Vice President at BMC Software. I uh, did a variety of roles there, uh, Bain uh, Private Equity. And prior to that, I was at OpenText, the great Mark Berenshay and team. Um, and then before that, I was 18 years at CA Technologies. I actually just wrote a small article about how I got started there. Um, but every two or three years, did a variety of different roles, um, really selling um, enterprise software of a variety of sorts, different territories. Uh, it was just a great experience. Uh, graduated from Arizona State University, go Sun Devils. Um, actually started at NAU, so I'm technically a lumber devil is the way I describe it. Um, great parents, uh, Dan and March Hunter here in Phoenix, Arizona. Got a brother, Daniel, and a sister, Sean, and all of gave me a, a great foundation of learning and, and wanting to learn uh, the best I can growing up. So that's just a little bit about me, and that's what's brought me here. And really learning has been the key consistent topic throughout um, all my business uh, stops along the way. Superb. And I'm super excited to have you for a couple of reasons. One, you're a CRO, so we have had a few CROs on, on, the, uh, on the show. But two, the level where you are operating at is where what a lot of, I would say, emerging CROs or uh, learning CROs uh, want to operate at. And so we had somebody on the show that was a little bit more at the $100 million to, to $500 million level. We have a couple of them that were on the show that were a little bit more earlier stage than that. And then, and then we have you. And, and, uh, and the topic that you're choosing, I think, is actually pertinent because it helps everybody get a, a view on what does their future look like. And the way that you're going to share this with us, I think, is going to be phenomenal. So let's dig in on why you chose to speak about this topic, which is the CRO's plan is the company's plan. Sure. Before we just do that, let me just talk about those other CROs and the point of views. First of all, growing an asset, really taking any size company to the next level requires an open mind, a certain bit of an intellectual depth. You know, at the core of it is success through people, often referred to as scale. So I believe the minute you, you cross the chasm of kind of doing everything yourself or being the super sales leader, and I'm not saying CROs and smaller companies are, because they can be of all shapes and sizes. That really is the beginning 
of opening up this uh, box of opportunities to scale up or to scale down with uh, with companies. It's really that simple. And so I'm really an admirer of a lot of these growth companies. I think of myself as a growth minded simple you know executive who simply has found his way into larger and larger environments but at the core of it we want to grow and that does bring you to the topic you know when we were talking asher i, I was thinking to myself you know instead of having your sales force be your only way to market or your only constituents who understand what they're doing at one point along the way i was looking around and saw there's so many people who are always like hey what are those sales guys doing over there Right. What are those all hands calls about? What the heck goes on at club? Um, what are all these awards for? What, why are they talking in the way they're talking? And, and maybe it's because of how I was raised or the multitude of coaches that I've been, <laughs> been uh, given over the years. I'm, I'm sure that's saying something. But what I took away from that, having a little bit of EQ, right, a little bit of empathy, a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of self-control along the way, what I started becoming more and more fascinated with was, boy, oh boy, can I take everybody with me? Can I get supporters? Can I get fans? Can I get people who are knowledgeable of the plan? How They helped co-author the plan. They care about the plan. Uh, they they want to participate in the execution of the plan. And I'm talking about the janitor to the CFO to the auditors, you name it. I, you know, I just became fascinated with this concept of inclusion and broad, um, a broad participation in the building of the plan. And it, when, when done right, it can really be a game changer in uh, getting scale and getting productivity to pop through the roof. I love what you're saying, because if everybody is emotionally invested and care about the plan, they will do the right things automatically. Now, to me, at least in my humble experience, the word plan has the same type of feeling as the word data anytime it comes up in meetings. People somewhat cringe, right? And so so how does one enable other people to process this as a good thing versus something to be cringy about? Great question. So listen, um, another word I'm going to throw around here today for all everyone listening is this concept of courage. Courage when you don't understand the plan. Now remember, we're talking at the CRO level. So I'm assuming that we have a CFO in the room, potentially CEO, potentially the board, potentially investors who are trying to hit certain object- objectives. And it's in this conversation where the courage is required. So, so that's where the operating plan, the financial plan that needs to be baked on data and data in a good way. So it's not hope. It's not some bridge too far that we're just going to hope we grow 30 percent and we don't really have the mathematics to make it happen. So understanding your pipeline, understanding your conversion rates, understanding your average sales cycle, how long it takes. We don't need to impress anybody. We don't need to have our egos get in the way and say, boy, if I commit to 30%, you know, the board's going to love me when six months in, you're going to be in that red category, right? You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in this, this, this session that you knew you shouldn't have signed up for. Now, it's not just courage. It takes a level of precision on your detail. You have to be able to influence people. That's where I was coming earlier. 
bring those CFOs in earlier. Bring the head of HR in way earlier. Look at the data about conversion rates. Look at how long it takes to ramp up a rep and live in the real world with it and have the courage and the professionalism to pull all that together early to make sure that, and you're going to go back and forth a little bit. It's going to be, you know, a little bit potentially contentious, but the out product, the output is going to be a plan that that senior executive team believes in and have put their fingerprints on. And that leads me to my next point. We got to be transparent to our people and not everyone believes in this. I want to show my direct reports. Hey guys, Hey, men and women, here's how your plan is built. Here's the logic. Here's the conversion rates. Here's three years of data, if you have it, to back it up. It's not a layup. It's not going to be easy. We're not here to just pay people without hitting the company's objectives. But once you get that balance right and people look at it and they go, oh, wow, this is reasonable. I understand it. Then the management system around making the plan becomes theirs. It's not John Hunter's plan or it's not the CEO's plan, it becomes a company-wide owned initiative to win. And when winning becomes what the people want to do every single day, and they understand their why, their personal objective attached to that plan, trust and safety is acquired, and you are off to the races. As you're saying this, I was just thinking, has there ever been a time and it's probably be maybe it should be called a magical moment for a CRO where the field actually has come and said, Hey, you know what? We can actually do this. Why don't you listen to us? Yeah. Well, I listen at CA technologies, you know, I grew up, um, gentleman, Alan Clayton, maybe he'll listen to this. He was my CFO counterpart and uh, I never left him. Right. So he was listening. He was kind of this broker, if you will. Uh, And another stop along the way, I'll just want to shortly mention is I I actually got moved to New York and worked in headquarters, which was a game changing experience for me. And let me tell you why it's so important to your question. What I found when they moved me to New York and I got closer to the CFO community, they just had this point of view that everything coming up in the field is not authentic and it's built for them to make a lot of money and to have the you know the least work for the largest reward and they go to club and to be paid a million dollars of commission and they're basically stealing the company's money i'm paraphrasing so don't get me in trouble but you get the point when i went to, to headquarters i i was blown away i was like oh my gosh people here really think that we're all heathens out there to sell and make money and we don't really care about the long-term impact to our plans and what they mean on the head of accounting, the head of finance, the head of HR. So I wanted to bridge that gap. So one way you bridge that gap, like I mentioned earlier, bring those worlds together. So in the CA example, Alan Clayton would take that field plan early and we would challenge that data and we would challenge it with headquarter data or Bain and private equity, three years of historical performance data not that one or the other was right, but what you get is that, that what I would call professional positive tension to really bang on each other to make sure the field plan is tested and the headquarter assumptions are baked in the real world. If you can bring those two efforts together, you're going to get not only a realistic plan, but you're going to get everybody's buy into that plan instead of having that resentment. You know, again, what I mentioned earlier, right? Hey, these guys are celebrating in the quarter. 
and you know they they spent too much money on commissions or they spent too much money on sales activities and those sales guys just don't care and and I saw that myself I said oh no they do care they don't know what you think of them and that's where self awareness and empathy can can be a game changer as a CRO superb so let's dive into the framework slash mental model. You shared one with me. I would love for the audience to hear as you explain this thing to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so listen, right? If you're a CRO out there right now, uh, have you guys ever been in a meeting where you're having a tough go of it in your current plan and then somebody comes in and says, well, I know why. The product sucks or we didn't go to subscription or the latest release is no good or the marketing engine is is full of it. And we need to make these fundamental changes and you're in the current plan. And people start talking to even, maybe even more blue sky. Oh, we gotta move everything to SaaS, everything to cloud. We have to move everything to inside sales or move everything to partners. And I found that the, the thrashing one revealed the core plan was never built collectively, which is a problem. But more importantly, we never divided swim lanes on how to manage the future. So, and I won't take credit for this, Lonnie Jaffe, who's maybe the smartest human being on the planet, came to CA from IBM and he's and he taught me this, this three horizon thought process. Get into your current plan based on those fundamental plan debates I described earlier. Then that plan gets locked and loaded. That's horizon one. And typically, the CRO function owns and is driving Horizon One. Everyone else participates because they got a role to play. As I said earlier, janitor, you know, HR, product management. Hey, how are we doing day in, day out, week in, week out on the current plan? But here's the bigger meeting we need to have happen. We need Horizon Two, typically owned by product management. And I am always on record saying it's the most important function on the planet. So if you're a salesperson out there and you're not spending time with your head of product management um, and giving them really the empowerment to own the Horizon 2, that's next year, maybe even year point 1.5 out. What changes we should be making? Looking at lost reports, looking at Gartner data, looking at subscription and pricing models. Sitting and listening to those real-time battles that are happening right now with the competition, studying the competition intensely. So when we start making plan chases for, for the next year or year and a half, we have another meeting that's already happening that's preparing for those. That's not in the Horizon 1 meeting. Separate those out. Now, key, key miss here I've seen is sometimes product managers will just go off and do that on their own. We don't want that. We want the product manager to be the leader of that cross-functional team. Um, and it doesn't need to be heavy, guys. This could be a lightweight session that's simply looking at and listening to the sales issues, marketing issues, competitive issues, uh, could be geography issues. If you're going into markets in Europe or in Asia or China, these are the things we want a function looking at all the time. So by, by the time we make those recommendations, everyone's going, you know what? This totally makes sense. It's time to do it. Salespeople don't get freaked out. Um, you know, we don't make a thrashing move on a, on, a, on anything that's not fully understood. And the last, the horizon three is set yourself up a little bit of time to think even further out. 
sometimes in larger companies, it's M&A. Should we buy somebody or not? Should we divest something? Should we do something really radical, something bolder, so we don't just get caught in the world of incrementalism? And I think that that Horizon 3 session could be led by somebody like a CTO or somebody in Corp Dev to challenge the company in the proper place with your heart rates properly <laughs> not elevated, right? End of quarter nonsense. Remove all that stuff and go to a session where you go, hey, what do we want to look like three to five years out? Too many times I've seen that function not missing. It's not hard to do. I tend to make these things look like the Forrest Gump of of go to market. But if you can get these three swim lanes established, I think you're going to get better execution in your current plan and you're going to get more, a more reliable plan for the future. And you're going to have a better sense of what the, the significant future looks like. Thank you for walking us through this. Now, as somebody on the other side thinking about this, right? And I have heard this. I love this idea. What is some realistic time expectations of how much time would it take to create these swim lanes or create these plans so I can educate my management on, hey, this is a journey I'd like to take. And if they're all philosophically aligned, then here's the time expectation as well. Because I feel like everybody starts going into solutioning so fast without fully understanding the problem and then addressing the how they're going to work on the solution versus just telling, giving an idea about how to how to work the solution. Great question. So listen, let me give you another little, uh, sometimes we, we talked, Asher, about some tangible things you can go do listening to these things. I'll give you something very tangible that I went through that I'm going to tie back to your question about timelines. Where are you spending your time today? So we did an exercise once at a comp- one of my companies where we had 200 managers do the following exercise. Go look at your last 90 days of your calendar and go circle your or go add up the amount of time of those meetings are referred to as operational or strategic. Simple. 90 days. Uh, sales forecast, um, you know, strategically aligning with product management, meeting with uh, Amazon, meeting with strategic customers, um, doing performance reviews, doing deal reviews, doing operational stuff. And what we found, and then the second thing we did in that 90-day assessment, go look at what you really like to do and what you're really good at. And what we found was multiple examples where we have had inverted people. They did not have the, the ability to do what they really love to do and what they're good at. They were drowning in operational things, spending maybe as little as 10% on strategic. So if you're a CRO out there or you're a VP of sales and you want to go up, I'm telling you, you got to think about your time differently. You got to really learn when to delegate. You got to really make sure you're hiring super capable people underneath you and around you. You have to find a way to leverage the other teams. That example that I just gave you, we had other functions in the room like finance, like HR, like um, operations. And you know what? They were begging to help these sales managers take off some of that work so they can go become more strategic. They couldn't find them. They couldn't find their weekly meeting. They were never asked to participate. They were never asked to come in and do the work. So some of these sales leaders feel like they need to own everything or do it themselves. And as I answer your question, um, I think it starts with making sure everyone frees up 
the right amount of time to work on the big rocks that move the needle for the company. And that does not take a lot of time. I would ask everyone today, do you meet with product management? It's yes or no. What do you talk about? Is anybody today looking over the horizon at what's coming next? I mean, you could do a one-hour session every other month to get ready as long as you have that interaction, as long as it's calendared. And I often ask her, I often look at people's calendars and it gives me an insight and how they lead. If the calendar is a mess, if it's back-to-back-to-back meetings, if it's just stuff coming in and coming out and total chaos, you know, come back to that courage and the discipline, um, how you manage your time becomes critical. But it doesn't require a lot. Matter of fact, last point I'll try to make, I think they're already doing it. You just don't know it. So I think these product managers are super smart. I think they're waiting to interact with their CROs and their heads of sales, and their chief revenue officers, and their chief operating officers. They probably already have sessions already on the calendar. You're just not in them. And so it may not be a single more minute of additional time. It's just going to be a re-portioning uh, out of time you're already spending. But do me a favor, guys. Go look at where you're spending your time today. And go find yourself a way to get out of some of that operational um, non-productive time and, and go goal set for yourself, some strategic time, and maybe the horizon implementation won't look that bad. And it's probably already there. I, I love that you said this because I've spoken with a lot of people who have come out of the last 10 months. And I feel like there's two types of people that have either made it or learning how to make it, right? But the people that made it were actually extremely operational or had this deep fascination about operational success. The folks that had this deep fascination about strategic success learned the hard way. But both of them said, we coming out of this are going to make sure that we have our calendars blocked out for think time. It's just insane going from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. And you have no dedicated think time. Now, I also know that there are people out there that don't necessarily work like that because they can't for the life of them, like just schedule think time, right? But I, what I would like to add to this is like for both types of people, they absolutely need to do what you're saying. Like whatever time you have, shut your computer down and just take a walk, right? Or go call somebody who you know is a trusted person that can pull you out of this situation. Because I do realize that, you know, not many other executives fully understand what the CRO role fully is and what that person is really going through. At that point in time, you do need to phone a friend and call for some support. What do you think, John? Well, listen, you're, it's a home run. You know, now, you're going actually to another level of what I would describe as keeping people in their confidence zones. So if you ask me what my belief system is truly about building world-class, high-performing teams, it's when everybody, including me, is in your most productive state. So this is this is a whole other conversation we've had around fear, right? Fear. I'm tired. I don't know where the company's going. I don't know my role in it. My boss is on me. I'm in red. We can, we may feel in a company culture that you think you're doing it right, but the data and the facts show you the t- more tired you get, the more non-recharged you are, the more fear in that environment, the worse productivity is. It's a fact. 
The game is up there. You know, it's not cool anymore. Um, if you want to build a sustainable, repeatable, highly productive culture, you've got to get these principles right. It's a slightly different one than think time, which I totally encourage, than having time on your calendar that never gets canceled to simply share and listen to the product management team tell you, what are they building for next year? And are they taking loss reports? And are they listening to your best reps? And are they listening to partners? That's a really easy, lightweight session. But my goodness, if you have 85 meetings set up to go try to close every single deal or whatever, you know, it's like sideways rain coming in your calendar, the product manager are going to give up on you. They're going to say, guess what? They're gonna, and I hear this all the time. Bob is a great sales manager, but Bob's not a fill in the blank. Yep. Because sometimes when people think about strategic thinker, they think academia. They think, oh, that guy doesn't know how to get shit done in the real world. That's, that's just not true. We want to have highly productive, efficient, effective operations, which is why I would advocate your management system, your sales process, your, cal- your color coding of your calendar is critical because we never, ever miss a beat on the operation. But then it frees up a ton of time to not only interact with the other executives, but to do what you just said. Hey, how are my kids doing? Have I checked in with the principal and their grades? Am I going to yoga? I can't tell you how many times through the COVID pandemic, the best advice I gave to my leaders, moving 5,000 people to over the phone, was making sure they got on their Peloton because I could hear it in their voices <laughs> that they were 12 hours you know, on the phone, sitting still, extroverted personalities that were absolutely lighting themselves on fire because they needed, they needed a break. And thank God for Peloton because we all needed a Peloton. If you could afford it, it was a great release and a strong, strong difference maker for leaders who were making it through the pandemic. I'm assuming you have one. I do. I do. I do. And it, it really, uh, and I was skeptical. I was a late adopter. I was not an early adopter, but um, you know, I wasn't a big biker, but I am a big believer on, on meditation, uh, journaling, and keep, like I said earlier, keeping myself at my best so I can then go give myself to my people and to my bosses and my boards and get the best version of me. And I will not be seduced out of that by anybody. And I think that's a really important point for everyone listening. Yeah. When I first started hanging around with RCO Mithal, this is what he told me too. He was like, Asher, like not many people take the time to fix the issues in their life so that they are present all the time. And if people can just fix that and literally just ask for help, like if you don't know how to do it, just call five people or call seven people and ask them like, hey, how do, how do you know if anybody who can help me with this, right? And there's a lot of help out there. And and I also encourage people, like I've started to do this on this podcast, is, is have other people join podcasts and literally ask for help because there's all kinds of folks like yourself there who will be generous enough to, to help people out. But being present all the time and learning how to be present all the time is essential because then you know what you're working with and if it is really the right thing to be working on. Well, think about it, right? If you ever study these Myers-Briggs and DISC and these other tools that really calculate, one of the things they tell you, they tell you how out of it you are. And then what happens if you look at those tools? It shows you how other people view you. 
So if you're extremely loud and boisterous and you're tired and you're worn down, you get more that way, right? Your neocortex to get scientific, right? You get out of, you get into fight or flight zone. You ever seen CROs going, oh, this plan sucks. The pro, you know, they, you can tell they're, they've lost their minds and all they can do is go in fight or flight mode and you become a martyr. That's all you do. You say, well, I'm going to quit because this plan doesn't make any sense and no one's coming along with me and I can't do this to my people. Those executives really have to learn to translate across, up and down, and they've got to see that them being present and centered is critical to bring those other people along. And I think that's what led us to this topic, right, on the co-authoring of the plan. To your point on helping, let's just go back to that for a moment. So now we built a plan. We've had other people contribute to building of the plan. And now you brought up a good point. How more likely are they to help you when you run into trouble? Yep. Right? Hey, bad quarter. Something's not going right in EMEA. Everyone knows how the plan was built. They totally believe in it. And they're like, hey, behind the scenes, without you being around, you know, they talk about that's how you measure your brand. It's what are people saying about you when you're not there? If they're not part of the journey, it's like, shit, I didn't build the plan. I don't know what John Hunter is doing over there. But once they're part of the team, it's like, hey, John, I can help you. And they're speaking that gospel to others. And there you go. And that's when you get people getting help from places they never guessed it. And it's a powerful, powerful ally to have um, in these jobs. And they're very dangerous jobs, right? These are very hard jobs when you're the revenue guy or the revenue woman. 100% agreed. And I always say that there will come a time when the people who are trying to help you sound annoying. In that sure. moment, you have to catch yourself and say, are they annoying me or am, are my actions being annoyed full, right? Like, like which one is this? And, uh, uh, and that's why I was excited to have this conversation with you because you've seen a lot of these things happen, right? And, and, and you just have to kind of catch yourself right before the next interaction takes place because everybody wants to help. Nobody comes to, to, to work to like not help a CRO, right? Like why would they, not? everybody gets paid, the success. There's like all this amazing feeling with, with, uh, with hitting, hitting the company's goals and, and you're the one person. So why not just reach out and be a human and accept humanness? Well, let me tell you something. I had we had a culture coach for two years at CA at one point. We had a gentleman, professional PhD in psychology, sitting in ELT level, seriously uh, difficult, challenging sessions. And I went into those sessions not fully rounding my edges, and I let people have it. We got to do this. We've got to do that. What's wrong with all you people? And I'm obviously being somewhat uh, funny about it, but. I, it changed my life when this gentleman, uh, Pat Latore, um, called me up and said, how do you think you did? And I was like, well, I think, you know, I, think I did great. I let everyone know how I felt. And he was like, how much airtime did you use? How much collaboration did you do? How much validating? And I thought, oh, man, I am so screwed. I must have sounded like an idiot. And I often call this topic getting your PhD and being an idiot. How do you watch your own heart rate. How do you listen to those people? Often we'll write down in meetings, you know, does this need to be said now, said by me, said it, said it all? Because we want other people to be listened to and we really need to influence 
and we need to let people understand what we're doing. And there's really good techniques that you can employ to learn this trade. It's not that hard. It's about bringing people with you. And uh, to your point, everybody loves to give advice, to give coaching, and to give give wisdom. And we just got to have the self-esteem to ask for it. 100%. Now, let's shift gears just a little bit because you actually helped me understand the difference between adaptive and a technical problem. I would love for the audience to hear from you on that. Great. Again, part of the same leadership development program I've kind of been mentioning, we are inundated all the time on learning how to scale, learning about power, learning about how to solve really big problems. And as a matter of fact, the book out there everyone should read is called Leadership on the Line. Um, it's got about three, for me, three major principles. Um, one of them is the adaptive problem and technical problem. Simon Sinek talks about it and teaches it as well. Um, it has a concept about going to the balcony and it's important. The balcony is you remove yourself from your environment. You go to the balcony and you just kind of envision what's going on here right now. Maybe it's a change of a board. Maybe it's a change of another personnel on the team. And it teaches the, that politics is not a negative term. It's not a positive term. It's a neutral term. And I hear that a lot with sales leaders. You know, I couldn't go up in this company because I, because I'm not political. Or that company's too political for me. So it was a game changer for me um, reading this book and then applying it to my teams. Uh, and it started with understanding no one goes through life alone. And we've talked about that um, quite a bit. But that's a really important statement. Don't make your number on your own. Don't plan next year on your own. And don't think about politics as a negative. Now, back to this term of adaptive problem. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is hugely important. There are problems that the book points out that are going to scare the people because they don't understand them. Now, in the book, it uses Arafat in Israel, uh, wants to make peace with the Palestinians. And as you all know, he gets assassinated because he doesn't bring everybody with him. He just speeds into it. So there are problems all the time where maybe we're saying, hey, uh, enablement. For me, enablement can be an adaptive problem. So how do you solve adaptive problems? You get the team to solve it on their own. A technical problem, Asher, you and I can go solve it. We're smart. We've done it before. We roll it out. Boom. Done. How many times have you seen a sales process not get rolled out successfully? Enablement not get rolled out successfully. A go-to-market transformation, tiering, segmentation exercises not get rolled out successfully. It is usually because the people were scared to death because it meant change. Change, and we all know this in our personal lives, if we want to change and we want to move cities or our kids are going to a new school, change can just freeze and scare the daylights out of people. And I had to learn, I've learned it the hard way and I've done it the successful way, but it came after intellectually understanding, I want to find out where we are on this plan and what problem am I dealing with? At OpenText, as an example, we had the sales leaders. Uh, we brought in the world famous Jay Tyler to help teach us about the right operating metrics about employee engagement, delighted customers and operational excellence. Then we read Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last because we wanted the team to co-author this management system. 
And so they got on the whiteboard and they debated it. And we had Jay and a couple others kind of steering the conversation from the book about how cortisol, dopamine, serotonin work in our brains. Now, fear could just be a devastating output of not solving the adaptive problem that we didn't want to roll out a management system or sales process, which was part of this, and then have a bunch of people just quit or not buy into it because they thought we were trying to eliminate them or some what we call an unintended consequence. So this, this adaptive problem is fun to solve. Uh, I think you'll be surprised how smart your people are. They're usually smarter than we are, and they will get on that whiteboard if they're empowered to truly uh, solve it. Now, you're steering them still the right way, right? We don't want them to come come back with something that's completely ridiculous. But they'll come at, the light bulb will turn on, and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, we got it. We know where you're going, um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's really a delight because that's actually – when you'll get the buy-in to whatever change you're advocating. And that's, I think that's as important in a transformation, which I've been a part of, or you're in a growth company and you're going to that next level. Think about getting those sellers. You want to double their quota or you want to double their productivity, or you want them to become more partner friendly. You may want to consider deploying some of these adaptive techniques to get people to solve that problem mostly on their own and you'll have a better buy-in to whatever you're trying to get them to change into. I would just caveat that when you do it like that, it takes longer, but it's okay, right? Because you've just enabled a whole other unit to think on themselves. And one other thing that I've, at least I've learned, is if you cannot eat the whole pie in one go and just solve, eat it like one slice at a time. And I know it's a cliche, but... I've seen a few organizations roll out Medic, and to give a sales example, and if you are having a tough tough time rolling out Medic, just roll the C out of in Medic, right? Why do you care about everything else? Because the most important thing is cultivating the champions, and if you've got that right, then everything else kind of works from it. What do you think, John? Uh, I, man, you, you, you are you're speaking from the hymn book. I cannot tell you. I just came out of multiple examples where medic was on a PowerPoint presented to the boards, but once you went into the field, none of it was being used. It's a great example of an adaptive problem. And and you're right. You want to get baby steps. You want to get incremental quick wins along the way. Hopefully, sometimes from your super sellers or your super users, right? You, you and your leaders. So when we just we just rolled out a sales process of microfocus, we started, we we really slimmed it down. To similar to what you're talking about, we really gave them a, a new platform with Revigy so they could get in and look at these milestones. We changed the vocabulary around it to be positive, you know, deal storming, um, you know, deal huddles and, you know, creative positive ways of using the tools, using the technique to help you make money. And I think that's the thing that's wrong with medic. People get lost. This is a, this helps you qualify. This helps you have more success. This makes you more money, and it helps you delight customers. And 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 I think you're you're absolutely right. If you skip steps, though, you roll it out. It looks good on a PowerPoint slide, but my goodness, seen it too many times. Nobody's using it, and you're going to have a short term sigh of relief, and you're going to have a long term headache the minute you realize your, your pipeline is going down the drain. Terrific. And so, as we come to the closure of this podcast. Sean, uh, one of the things that you told me about was uh, 
was some of the things to think about when you get lost, right? And I know we've talked to a few of them, but if you were to summarize, like, what happens when you get lost, once again, just for the audience, I think it's really important for them to take this away and internalize it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I just wrote an article about my first sales job. I called it Eat What You Kill, and it was basically my interpretation of what my first founder, Charles Wong, um, believed and not everything was right. And I'm certainly not endorsing everything I learned there. It was pretty brutal, very tough. But one of the things that I learned there, because sometimes it got intense and sometimes it got complicated. And he used to clear it up for you pretty quickly. Like he used to turn email off. You can't do that anymore. But just picture this. He would turn email off during selling hours. So keeping the customer front and center is what I learned at those early days. And when I got super confused, I mean, everything from here, are these product management designs right? You know, am I, is all this internal meetings right? And you get back in front of a customer and they validate to you, you know, their enjoyment of doing business with you or what their vision is of digital transformation. I just think that's really critical. And let me give you a second. I find this one goes over well with sales communities. I think we just overcomplicate so much of this. In sales, there's only two things that happen. A new opportunity comes in or a current opportunity goes forward. Go back over that 90-day calendar assessment again and look at all the time we spend that has nothing to do with what I just described. Multiple companies I've been at have, have this is back before COVID, of course, we actually deployed what we call no-fly zones. That you couldn't have internal meetings between Monday and Thursday. You had to do your internal meetings on Friday. Because we found that culture will just suck you in to complex, highly political, distracting sessions. Maybe not everybody has this problem. But if you do, go think about your activity. And is it helping you create an opportunity to delight a customer or advance a current opportunity? If it doesn't, I would advocate let's get back to hitting the phones, getting on our Zoom calls, prospecting. At 10, 4, 2, and 1, those are my activity levels that I've been guiding sailors on for 20 years, 10 visits a week, four new contacts a week, two technology events like demos a week, and one line of business meeting a week. And when I get back to 10, 4, 2, and 1, even being the CRO to VP to director, you will get some clarity on what your mission is. It is solving customer problems, and hopefully that helps. John, thank you for sharing that. And you are, as I would say, the real deal. And when we asked other people about you, one of the folks said, John has a way of providing knowledge as a boss, mentor, friend, and colleague. And everything that you've shared on this podcast with me completely follows that. So thank you for your time today. Well, listen, you're welcome. Um, I, I'll just end on this. Um, at a big time customer of mine uh, at Kaiser, I have to give her credit, Kathy Sherman, told me you should think about your career and learn, earn, and return. And so I don't know if what I have is helpful, but I am here to give it back. And if people want more, send me an email, uh, jonathan.hunter4 at gmail.com. More than happy to give back and help out for the next generation of leaders. Yeah, that, that, that's great. So let's move into the fun part of the conversation, as I call it, right? And so what I would love for you to do is share with us a couple of people who you believe share the same passion for go-to-market, or maybe they can be CROs, uh, that you think we should bring onto the show. 
Well, I want to start with the uh, – and he's, he's, he's going to kill me probably. But Brian Dell is a CRO at Big Panda. Um, he, has a, uh, he has a growth machine, different size. He did app dynamics. He's done CA with me. Uh, I love telling the story of hiring Brian because he's got he's a multiple black belt in karate. He grew up in Jersey in a boiler room. And I, and I teach this a lot. These are the fundamentals we need, right? How to get stuff done, but think strategically and, and grow companies hair on fire. And uh, I think Brian would be great. Um, another one, a dear friend of mine, John Schweitzer, is a CRO at Software AG. Um, very similar to me in the sense he's international. He's worked at SAP. He's grown. He's transforming. He's super smart, very eloquent, and he can really speak to both, right? Transforming, trans, you know, translating across uh, international communities in case that's something you all want to learn more about, but also growing and delighting customers. And uh, John and I were sigmatized together at NAU, and who knew that we'd both be uh, in, this, in these crazy jobs together? So I think he'd be great. Fantastic. Uh, we sometimes have some fun on this podcast by condensing the podcast into a hashtag. I know this may, is more of a, a marketing task, but if I were to ask you how you would condense this podcast into a hashtag, what would your answer be? Uh, hashtag no one goes through life alone. Hashtag keep it real. Hashtag integrity, integrity, integrity. Superb. Well, we're going to test all three out when we post your podcast out there. But I'm sure many people are going to want to know about you and some of the work that you're planning on doing to helping the community. So can you give us an idea of how should we connect with you if you wanted to? And then what are some of the work that you're doing or at least starting to do in the community to help others? Yeah, well, listen, I am starting to uh, actually write down um, all of these ideas and, and publish them and post them. You can go read the one I mentioned earlier. It's out. I'm going to publish another one and probably put it into a video podcast format as well. So we, we have more of a dialogue. I, want, I like the questions. I want the feedback. It's been great. I'm getting a lot of it today. I'm doing a lot of advising work um, with companies like Sales Benchmark Inc. that are dedicated to the CRO community. So if you don't, don't SBI. Um, they're doing some really great things as well as ecosystems, which is committed to value selling. I just did a panel recently on how to establish a value management office. So those are things that are a ton of fun. Uh, you can email me, as I mentioned earlier, Jonathan.hunter4 at gmail.com and just stay tuned to me on LinkedIn and potentially YouTube as I just start to put these points down. And if you like them, great. If you think they suck, let me know because that's good feedback either way. Well, John. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you for giving, sharing some nuggets with us. I'm sure the global CRO community will benefit from the nuggets that you've shared. And best of luck on your journey. Thank you very much. I sure appreciate it. Good luck, everyone. Nice talking to you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.